Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Hello, everybody. Sean Offenbach. I serve on the security team. Uh, just a little quick plug for them. If anybody would like to join the security team, please reach out to myself or Mendel. Amen. Be, be reading from uh, Psalm 19, 7 to 11. Uh, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for worship. We just ask that you lead and guide every aspect of this time together and truly create a heart to worship in spirit and in truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sean. You may have a seat. All right, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 19, and we're continuing our series, Summer in the Psalms. Summer in the Psalms. And if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Rules of Revival. Rules of Revival. And so we did a thing as a family earlier this, actually it was the end of last year, December. Uh, this may be hard to believe because of my strong stance on this topic. But we got a cat. No, no. Not sure how that happened, but it did. So we got a cat. And uh, to no one's surprise in the house, cats do what cats do. And he does what cats do, right? He eats. He sleeps. And he doesn't care about a rule that we have, right? He just does whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it. He just, that's a cat. And so, to no one's surprise, that's what he's been doing. And and so as I was thinking about rules this week, and I was watching my cat just do whatever he wants, regardless of what I tell him to do, I wonder what comes to our minds when you hear the word rules. What comes to your mind? Usually it's not good. When you hear rules, a bunch of maybe can't-dos or a bunch of don't-dos or a bunch of to-not-to-dos, usually it's negative when you hear rules. But I've seen there's a couple groups of people when it comes to rules. Some people, when they see rules, they feel the, this culture and climate of comfort, right? Like, you're just a rule follower. Everywhere you go, it's new. You just want to find the rules so I can fit in the rules and I find comfort in rules. And then there's other people, like me, maybe like you, that you see rules and it arouses a certain type of rebellion, right? Like it provokes a, who are you to tell me what to do kind of attitude? Am I alone with that? Anybody else? Or you see a challenge like, yeah, I bet I can do that anyway, right? It's interesting, the Bible, in a very real way, is a bunch of rules. People don't like that. Like that's a knock actually against the Bible. Oh, it's a bunch of rules. Well, kind of is. Kind of is. It's interesting, so many of you know, I did many years serving with the Air Force, and so I love a good acronym. And someone made way smarter and wiser and, I guess, 
just more creative than I am. Use the word Bible as an acronym. And maybe you've heard this, right? B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. You've heard that? Kind of corny, kind of cute, whatever it is, but I kind of like it. Maybe not so doctrinally sound, but we can talk about that. See the Revelation series we did a couple years ago. But instructions. It's another word for commands. And so the Bible, in a very real way, is essentially a bunch of rules. And maybe using the more biblical terminology, the terminology that psalmist here refers to, he uses his instruction, testimony, precepts, command, ordinances. And so the Bible's filled with instructions or commands, or maybe more offensively to many, rules. It just does. But unlike many seemingly random rules I've written today, God's rules are life-giving, not life-restricting. I think that's what we have in mind when we hear rules is a bunch of things we can't do and restrictive natures. But as we see God's rules, they're life-giving, not life-restricting. That's what the psalmist here starts off in verse 7. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. And that word renewing is also translated in reviving. You ever thought about rules being reviving, refreshing, renewing? Probably not. That's exactly what the psalmist here is pointing at. Why? If you go back, and we don't have time this morning, but look at the first part of Psalm 19, he starts off with who God is, and then goes into how amazing his instructions, ordinances, precepts, commands, and testimonies are, because it's from God. That's why. It's from God. Second. Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is inspired by God. Another word for inspired means breathed out. And so what we see with God, God speaks life, and He breathes life. As we see at the beginning of all of history, how did everything come to pass into creation? God spoke it. Right? From watermelons to wildlife, He spoke it. From mountains to molehills, right? All these things, like, spoke it in creation. But then, he did something different when he created man. He formed man. He didn't speak man to existence. He formed man. But what brought man to life was God breathed the breath of life into him. The crown jewel of all creation created in God's image. So we see God speaks life, He breathes life. And then we have Psalm 119. Now it's a whole psalm dedicated to a love for God's Word. All 176 verses of it. Let me hit you just a few, right? Psalm 119, verse 25. My life is down in the dust. I give, you give me life through your Word. Psalm 119, 37. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 119, 114. You are my shelter and my shield. I put my hope in your word. Psalm 119, 165. Abundant peace belongs to those who love your instruction. Nothing makes them stumble. This whole Psalm 119 is devoted for a love for God's word. Why? Because it is lovely and it's good. Because it's from a good God. And so as we look at God's rules, they're reviving. That's what the psalmist is getting to. They're reviving because they are right. If I just a quick glance at 
Psalm 19, 7 through 9, you see the instruction of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. His precepts, the precepts of the Lord are right. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. Why? Because they're from God. God himself says in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways are higher than your ways. Which then brings Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, clarity. Because of who God is, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, that's a lot of ways, in all your ways, Know him, and he will make your path straight. And then verse 7 says this. Don't be wise in your own eyes. It's a tricky part. And this is what the psalmist gets at in Psalm 19, where we're at, verse 7. The testimony, which also is translated warning, of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. It's one thing to know something. It's another part of knowing to doing. That's where the wisdom comes in. For example, yesterday, me and one of my sons were, were doing a little project in the house, and we were cutting PVC pipes, so I was showing them how to use a chop saw. And so I was giving them instructions, right? Hearing protection, eye protection, make sure the PVC is lined up, how to use the saw. But I didn't just stop with instructions. I gave them warnings. Why? Because he's a little bit like me, a little thick-headed. Just saying. I need some warnings. Like, information just isn't good enough. I want to know the why behind the what. Right? And so I told him, gave him some instructions. Like, we wear hearing protection because if your hearing gets damaged, it doesn't grow back. It doesn't come back. That PVC starts flying. You want to get a pipe in your eye, some shards in your eye. You'll regret that because I've done that and I've learned my lesson the hard way. So we wear eye protection. You make sure you have it clamped with your hand away from the saw so you come down, you don't lose digits. Like these simple things, I tell them why, but the why behind the what matters a whole lot. And for me, I wish I, throughout my years, could have been like, yeah, you told me, so I did it. Usually, I get instructions, and I don't do it, and I regret it, and I'll do it right the next time. That's been my pattern. But the warnings are good. The warnings, his testimonies, do bring wisdom. The psalmist of Psalm 19 is emphasizing the point that God's rules are not problematic, but actually desirable and profitable. I mean, they're good for something. Look at verse 10. He says, they're more desirable than gold and more abundant than pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. And I'm convinced if Psalm 19 and within God's sovereignty was written in 2023, it'd been more along the lines of more desirable than the glaze dripping off a hot and now ready donut from Krispy Kreme. They're that good. I can't think of anything better than that. That's what he's saying. God's instructions, his ordinances are good. Which goes back, they're, they're profitable. They're good for something as well. They're good and good for something. And that's where I think we fall short. So going back to 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. It means it's good for something. He gives a list. Good for what? Profitable for teaching. Profitable for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Then he says this in verse 17. So the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's not rules for rules' sakes. They're good and to be implemented, actually good for something. But how do we know the rules? 
unless we actually spend time in the rule book. And I know it rubs people the wrong way here in rules because he focused so much on relationship. He's still God and has a standard. But his standard's good. See, we want to rebel when we hear rules and reject them. Who are you to say that to me? Well, he's God. Are we okay with that? Like God can say and do what he wants. We either fall in line or we don't. And yet we have this relationship with him like a good father. Like, yeah, I have rules for my kids, but they're out of love and guidance and wisdom for him and her and them. So it's not that we have to obey God's rules. We have a choice. But see, we go like we have to obey. It's not so much we have to obey them, but we get to. We actually get to know God and be known by him and fall in line and follow him. That's what following Jesus is is obedience because we trust him and we acknowledge his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts than my thoughts. That's good. This is what we clearly see as the heart posture of the psalmist in Psalm 19. He gives us encouragement to come to God's word and actively see where you can submit and not skip. Now think about that just for a minute. Is that our heart posture? Coming to the Word of God and seeing where there's opportunities to submit versus, ah, uh, I don't know if I fully agree with that. Or, ah, uh, that's kind of uncomfortable, awkward, I don't really understand it, so I'm going do this. Or, you know what, God doesn't understand my circumstance. If He only knew what I was going through, then He would allow this thing to happen, whatever that is. Do we come to God's Word looking to submit or to skip or take some scissors to it? Again, in verse 7, the instruction of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. The precepts of the Lord are right. And this says, making the heart glad, meaning it's good. It brings joy. When you see what God has put in place, it's not a burden because we trust Him. And not that we fully understand all of His ways, but we come to God's Word and say, yes, yes, it's good. Simply said, the rules that God has given are good. And we know that generally. Like if I just mentioned a couple right now, right? There's some don't do's and there's some do's all throughout Scripture. There's a lot of them. But just think of a few, like do not murder. Generally pretty good rule. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, just a few. So no one would come to these and say, you know what, I see, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. You know what, God, you're just an anti-fun, almighty, authoritative joy killer, right? Because I can't go murder people. Somehow I say that, I'm sure some others say that, it's weird. But nobody comes to that list and says, that's not good. Like, you telling me I can't commit adultery, I can't go out and cheat on my wife? How dare you? Who are you, God, right? No, we know. We know that. You mean I can't lie? What about the white lies, right? Those are usually, that's just a little lie. Can I say something? Just Of course, I have a microphone. Of course, I say it. Just off to the side, right? Those white lies. If you're asking questions, you don't want the truth to say it in the first place, you probably shouldn't ask the questions, right? Can we get there? But lies. We're not to lie, steal. We know this. But it says to do certain things. 
a lot of things. And let's go right to the most important command. You know God commands you to love him? The audacity, right? Who are you? Are you command me to love you? Yeah. Yeah, he does. It's the most important rule of the whole Bible throughout all human history. God commands you to love him. I'm going to let that sit there for a minute. Because, man, that, that seems wrong, doesn't it? Doesn't it poke at the pride a little bit? Until you see why. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. And off the bat, some of you are like, oh, of course, because I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, I'm pretty lovable if I'm honest, right? I got it all figured out. I'm a pretty good person. Of course he loves me. How could he not? Until we see what the Bible actually says. This is a, a wild thing about the Bible. First, it shows who God is. But then it shows who we are. And so we see God, who's holy, righteous, just, perfect. And then it shows us. And even though we think we're those things, it says we're not so much. Romans 5.8 says, God proves his own love for us, which we love that. And then it says, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me translate. Even while you rejected him, didn't want him, didn't desire him, we wanted to do what you want to do, what felt good to you was right in your own eyes. I want to go my own ways. I don't want nothing to do with God. God still loved you and proved it by dying for you. Like, think about that kind of love. How many people right now would go down the street and somebody punched you in your face would turn around and die for that person? Be pretty tricky, right? No, man. But this is what God does. I mean, essentially, like us actively rebelling against him, he says, you know what? I'm going to pay the price for your sin anyway. So that everyone who believes in me, what I did for you, has eternal life. That's amazing love. And so when you come about how the audacity of God said to love him, commands me, how could you not? And he gives another command. He says, love others. Not an option. Love others. Jesus says in John 13, he says, I give you a new command. And it's interesting in a new command because it's been a command to love others. God's going to demonstrate what that love looks like. He says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. That's what love looks like. You love others as Christ loved you. Go back to the point we just tried to make about why we love God. Jesus going to the cross sacrificing himself, the sacrificial love. He says, go love others the same way. Now, I was thinking about, so Luke and Leah up here helping lead the worship, they're getting married this coming weekend. And every time I have a chance to counsel a young married couple, I always go to Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's a high standard love. But it makes sense because ultimately that's Christians love others 
as Christ loved the church. This is the, what love looks like, the standard of love. And God says, do this. It's a command. Do this. I was thinking about this morning just what that love looked like and just picturing, I, and you've heard this, but how much does God love you? This much, right? Jesus stretched out on the cross. What a symbol, a picture of how much God loves you. And I was thinking about just the, the embrace God gives his people by his presence, man. And as I was thinking about my own sons and you know, I'm kind of a hugger, right? And so I'm still hugging my sons. And the other day, I, it was a new experience in my, in my, my life. My now almost six-foot-two son, I went and hugged him. And I, I came in a little too aggressively. And, man, his shoulder hit me right in the face, right? Because now he's a little bit taller than I used to be, you know. But I don't care how big my boys are. They're going to get hugged and loved on. Because I want to show the affection of a good father. Because we serve a good father who is ready to warmly embrace everyone who comes to him, regardless of your background, your baggage. It doesn't matter because he's paid the price for your sins. So whoever comes to him and believes what he did for you has life, that life you were meant to have in the first place. That connection with God the Father. And that's the way we're to love others. Let me give you a couple more doing commands. God says, do multiply. Starts from the very beginning. Genesis 2 talks about the husband and wife, right? This is why man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Genesis 128, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Now, this is when I can tell what men in the room actually know the Bible. Because when I read that passage, we have a whole lot more amens in the house. It's talking about sex. Can we say that in church? Yes, because in the Bible. Listen, God is a good giver of good gifts, but He has parameters. He has restrictions for the good of His people. This is good, but the point is to be fruitful and multiply is not just for the experience and sensations, but actually from the very beginning is spreading God's glory throughout the earth through his people. Which then puts into the lens of the what we call Great Commission. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Again, reproducing his people spreading His glory because He's worthy of worship. And so we go where God's not being worshipped because He's worthy of it. And this was fuels foreign missions or domestic missions in Shore Pump Mall. What do you want to say? God's worthy of all worship. But we go as His representatives demonstrating who He is, showing who He is, spreading His glory, multiplying. I can tell you, so disciples make disciples who make disciples. It's multiplying. And this is the key distinctive of one of the small groups that we have in the life of the church is our discipleship groups. Discipleship groups do specific things, but one of the main distinctives is that they multiply. Why? Because disciples make disciples. And think about this just for a second. And you can even expand this to local churches. If we never multiplied, 
Would those who don't know Christ ever come to know Christ? The answer is no. The answer is no. And the crazy thing is that Jesus says, with the Bible commands over and over again, to share the gospel. But it never says go and make converts. It means as people believe, you disciple them. Just as you have, are, and will be discipled. We grow in Christ together. We're meant for community. But what happens if we were to stay just in our holy little huddles? Whether it's our D groups or our local church, if we never multiplied, if we never advanced the gospel, made disciples to make disciples, then there's billions of people around the world that will never hear the truth of the gospel. And the only way people come to faith is by hearing the gospel. So we multiply. We spread God's glory. And finally, one more do. I think it sums it up pretty well. God says, do keep all my commands. But why? We need to come back, because I can just say, the Bible says this, and I know it's not enough. I know with the power of the Holy Spirit, you start getting the why behind the what, you start seeing, wow, this is actually good. For instance, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Listen, you are not trying to earn something from God. God's already given you his love. So we're not doing these things to hopefully be pleasing to God. He's already pleased with you because of his son, Jesus Christ. So we live from already being loved by a holy, loving God. If you love me, you will keep my commands. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. I'll tell you, obedience shows where your love is. Do we love the Lord? If so, we strive to see God's rules and where we could submit to Him because of a love for Him, and we trust Him. This is what trusting, following Jesus looks like. And ultimately, the rules, God's rules, have a reviving, refreshing, renewing effect in our lives. In verse 7 that we saw, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The ESV translates this as, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Rules are reviving when you come to the Lord and say, yes. And the point is, for a Christian, God's rules should create a climate of comfort that cultivates a life of conforming. Meaning, we find comfort in the rules that he's established. We see him as good, and we trust him, regardless of the swirling, changing atmosphere and culture we find ourselves in. We know that God's rules, his standards, his precepts, his commands, his instructions, his testimonies are good, perfect. And so let me ask you this. Do you have faith more like a cat or like a dog. I may write a book about this someday. Probably not. See, cats, their main desire in life is to please who? Themselves. A bunch of selfish little kid, cats. That's what they do. Selfish, man. Spend around time, anytime around a cat, you'll see how selfish they are. They desire to please themselves. Romans 8.8. 8. It says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And that's what the flesh does. The term for flesh is just following your own desires. I desire to please the things I or please myself. I desire to do what I desire. And ultimately, that's all these things 
that are not pleasing the Lord if you're not walking by the Spirit. Or you have the dog. Faith like a dog. Who does a dog try to please mainly? Their master, right? Man, you, I'm, not, I'm not condoning kicking dogs, okay? But maybe you can kick a dog, you can do That dog will still come back and just be wagging his tail and don't kick your dog, okay? Don't kick your dog. It's not what I'm saying. Save the emails. Don't kick your dog. But this is what it looks like following Jesus as Lord, Master. We desire to please Him. That's only empowered by His Holy Spirit that dwells in you. You cannot muster this up yourself. It is by God working in you that creates a desire to follow Him and to live in a life that's pleasing to Him. That's what you see the psalmist here in Psalm 19, really to sum it up in 12 and 13 verses, uh, verses 12 and 13. He basically says about his sin, to God, cleanse me and keep me from my sin. Because he desires to please the Lord. In Psalm 19, 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. That means pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. And I wonder if that's our cry. May the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. Take that with you Monday morning in traffic. May the meditations of my heart be pleasing, acceptable to you. The point is, you can only have one master. Who's it going to be? Is it God? Or is it you and everything that derives from that? Let me give you another command. The last one. 1 John 3, 23 says this. Now this is His command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's a command. He commands you to believe, but He won't make you. But He gives a warning. So the instruction, believe in the name of Jesus Christ. But there's a warning. John 3.36 says, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. And remains mean that's how we we're born. We we're born sinners in need of a Savior. And we can't do anything good enough to earn our way out of the sin debt that we've accumulated. That's the point. God doesn't desire for you to stay stuck in your sin. He's made a way, the way, Jesus, who paid the price for your sin. So everyone who believes in him, that he died and rose again, has eternal life. And it doesn't mean you have to understand it all. But you know that you know that you believe that. That when he said, it is finished, the last words that Jesus said on the cross means paid in full. Everything that you've done and will do, thought of, thought to do, has been paid in full at the moment you believe. And this is good news. This is the good news of the gospel because I know sometimes like, we, like I, I think I understand, I want to believe, but if God only knew, God knows. God knows the garbage that you've done and died for you anyway. And this is the good news of the gospel, so I shouldn't have to scare you out of the reality of hell. That's not why we come to Jesus. The get out of hell free card, that's not what it is. We come to Jesus because we love Jesus. That's what 
stirs our infections because of how amazing He is. We see who God is and who we are, and yet God loved us anyway. This is amazing. I can tell you're excited about it. It's amazing. And one, if you have not made that faith change in your life from yourself to your Savior Jesus, do that. And for those who have, remember that because it changes everything. As we grow older and get a little stagnant, maybe stale and maybe a little even crusty, right? We just need to remember God's love and let that wash over us again. Let that revive our hearts, revive our souls. And when we come to God's Word, which we need to be in God's Word, to know God's Word, let's create a desire, ask God to create a desire in your heart to live in accordance with God's Word. Because it's good, it's trustworthy, it's reliable, and it's life-giving. And so that's my prayer for us this morning, for us to run to the Lord and His Word, fully trusting in Him, and continue to chase after Him, follow Him, as the Lord, not a Lord of your life. We're going to do some time, and we're going to have some time praying, and I'm going to invite our, our worship band back up. And what we're going to do what we do every single Sunday. We, we know God works and moves in specific and special ways as we gather as His people, as we worship Him, as we sing songs of praise to Him, as we worship Him through His Word, as we worship Him through prayer, He does amazing things in a special way. So I'm going to encourage you to respond to what the Spirit is doing in your life at this moment, whatever that is. And that could be just God's revealing some things, some areas that you've fallen short or you strayed or some anxieties in your life and stresses and just you need to rest and surrender these things to the Lord. Do that. Just spend some time in prayer doing that. Maybe you just forgot about the goodness of the gospel. Meaning... Maybe you've just kind of grown stale in your relationship with the Lord. Doesn't mean you don't have it, but you've drifted. Maybe today is like the Holy Spirit's leading you to recommit. And thank you for showing me, Lord, where I've gone astray. I need you to get back on track. Because your ways are good, they're right. Maybe for the first time you're seeing, man, I've known a lot about Jesus, but really haven't trusted Jesus, but I want to now. Even the quietness of your own seat as I pray here in a minute, you can give your life to the Lord. By simply saying, I see that I've sinned, I've fallen short of your goodness and your grace, your expectations, but you've died for me anyway. And I believe now that whoever comes, even someone like me, just by simple faith, not that I can do anything, believe in you and you give life. You give newness of life. You give forgiveness and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I encourage you to respond. Respond to the goodness of God's grace and His amazing love. I just desire for many, many people to know the love of God like I've experienced and know the love of God. I know many of you have that same story. So I'm asking God to work and penetrate our hearts this morning as we gather to refresh us, to revive us, to restore us, to reawaken us. 
I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. We'll also have a prayer team to the side. And listen, we would love to pray with you, pray for you. You're not alone in this faith journey, nor were you meant to be by God's design. Let's respond in worship. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, some of you may be responding by continuing to pray. Pray with us on the side. Some of you may respond by singing. You may want to grab those. Some people will be praying as a group. Whatever God's leading, do that. Do that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your amazing love. And we thank you for the guidance, the instructions, the standards, the commands that you give us because they are good, because they come from a good Father. Flowing from a heart of love for his kids. So, Lord, I just ask that you continue to stir in us a desire to live in a way that's pleasing to you, acceptable to you. May our lives be this acceptable sacrifice, lives of worship before you. Lord, if there's things that we have been struggling with, these sins that keep entangling us, Lord, I pray that you give us strength and victory in these areas. Give us a distaste and a hatred for those things that you hate. And bring us joy and excitement for those things that you see as joyful and desirable in your eyes. Lord, continue to turn our hearts to you, to be solely devoted to you as the Lord of our life and not one of many lords in our life. Because we trust you. So Lord, I just pray that you move your spirit in a spirit of response to your word this morning. Bring refreshing, reviving to your people, to us in this place. And let's continue to just worship you from a heart posture of love for you and worship in spirit, by the power of your spirit, in truth, the truth of your word. We thank you, Father. We pray this in the name that's above every other name. That is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.